Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see all of you here and those of you who are online as well. Um, <clears throat> do you have to see it to believe it? Are you one who's been known to live by the slogan, I'll believe it when I see it? Well, as we learned last week in Hebrews 11.1, 1, we find the definition of faith. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We live in a world that demands proof for everything. That which cannot be proven by empirical evidence is suspect. To the contrary, our faith trusts God for what we cannot see. Nevertheless, it is not a blind leap because it is grounded in the character of God. True faith does not demand visual proof, but trusts and obeys the invisible God. About two miles down the road here on the south side of Highway 52, there's a feedlot for a herd of cattle. And most of the time, the cows aren't even there around where they feed them. They're back in the pasture over the hill. But last Sunday, when we were on our way to church, I commented on the cows. Our timing was such that they were strung out in single file along the fence row, walking toward the bunkers where they are fed. But as we got closer, I could see there was no food there yet. Nevertheless, here came the cows. They were coming. I remarked to Dorothy and the kids, now that's What did I mean? Well, they couldn't feed, yet they were patiently waiting in line to be fed. Now, as much as cows can reason through such things, they trusted the person who feeds them that every day he would faithfully do his job. One of the preaching textbooks I used when I was teaching homiletics at Crossroads College made the distinction between do better preaching versus trust God preaching. Do better preaching has an emphasis on self-help types of activity. While trust God seeks to build one's faith. That's what we're striving for on what Hebrews 11. God is the main character in Scripture. And when we Now, as we ponder what the author says, keep in mind the original audience. The recipients of this text appear to have been experiencing persecution. Uh, the, the author says, not yet to the point of shedding blood. Nevertheless, they were suffering the consequences of being a follower of Jesus. Serving Christ for them is more than inconvenience. easier just to forget about him and return to their roots in Judaism. 
But the thesis of our author of Hebrews, when you consider all you have, even think about and as consider the we're part people of for them either they weren't they didn't have in fact the point is to show his original audience Um, his point is to show the original audience and us. Okay, there's always a message for us to show us, all believers in Jesus through the centuries, that we can live exactly the way these Old Testament folk did by faith. Such a life is not just for heroes, which is what we might think as we scan across the big names in the early part of chapter 11. However, we come to the latter part of chapter 11, the people aren't even named. Many are known only to God, but they too lived and died by faith. And so can we. The author says many things about the nature of faith. But he seems to return frequently to the idea that faith is trusting in what we cannot see. In reality, these Old Testament characters died without seeing the fulfillment of the promises of God in Jesus, what they had been looking forward to. They knew the goodness of God, they trusted in that, but they didn't see the fulfillment of the promises. And the dead in Christ since then, have also died without seeing the fulfillment of the promises, different promises, though, this time, the promises of God relative to the return of Christ and the new heavens and earth. We have not seen that either. But what we have seen convinces us of the powerful existence and the goodness of God so that we trust him for what we have not seen. In Hebrews 12.1, the faithful, those named and those who remain anonymous, are said to bear testimony to us by their own life experiences that we can trust God, that it is worth it to continue placing our trust in Jesus no matter what the present circumstances may look like. Today we're looking at the story of Noah. And the, story, the short version of the story of Noah is found in today's text, Hebrews 11.7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Now we see the longer version of the story of Noah, the full story, in Genesis 6 through 9. As Monty mentioned last week, conditions in the world of humans during the few, first few chapters of Genesis seem to be on a downward spiral, beginning with sin in the Garden of Eden. And as we learned last week, brother took up weapon against brother. 
and violence continued to the time of Noah, with a few, but very few, bright spots. And God's perspective, as he looked over the whole earth, was that wickedness was great. Their thoughts were evil all the time, and he was troubled and regretted that he had made them. Well, why did God not destroy everything in the flood as he had planned? We see the answer in Genesis 6-8 in a simple statement that would be very easy to overlook. Things were bad, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. In his grace, God considered the righteousness of one person, Noah, and for his sake did not destroy all life. Genesis 6-9 goes on to say, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. And we don't know the details of, of what set Noah apart from the rest of his generation. In general terms, all we're, all we're told is that he did what was right. He sought what God required, and we see it clearly in his attitude regarding building the ark. God still planned to destroy creation, but through Noah, he provided a refuge for humans and animals alike. The ark was really the first animal shelter. The ark took over a hundred years to build. It was a stupendous structure. Nothing like it had ever seen, been seen before. It was 450 feet long, football field and a half, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. I know some of you have been to the full-size replica of the ark in northern Kentucky, so you have a better idea after having been here. To me, that was the best part of the whole thing, was seeing how large it was and being able to picture in my mind what Noah went through. It gives us at least some idea of what Noah was up against. In addition to building the structure, Noah had to get the animals on the ark, along with the provisions for all of them. Now, God did not ask Mo Noah to do some small thing, but something preposterous, something that was beyond human imagination, beyond human sight, apart from the command of God. In addition, God told Noah the reason he wanted him to build the ark was because he was bringing a cataclysmic flood that would cover the whole earth with water much the way it was before God gathered the waters together to form dry ground on the third day of creation. Now, many of you know that we live on top of a hill in southwest Rochester. And at times, we've had some heavy rain since we've lived here. And, and some in our city have experienced flooding during that rain. And during those incidents, I've, I've had people ask me from time to time if we had any flooding at our house. I humorously remarked, if we were flooded, we'd all be in trouble. In fact, that's exactly 
what was happening in Noah's world. Some surmise that people had perhaps never even seen rain before, since God controlled moisture and humidity by sort of a a greenhouse effect prior to the flood. But now God's telling Noah, there's going to be a flood that's going to cover the tops of the highest mountains. And Noah built this ark hundreds of miles from the sea in faith in God. Put yourself in Noah's position. God told you. And the language that's used says that his voice was unmistakable to Noah. He knew it was God speaking to him. And he told him to build a large boat hundreds of miles from the ocean to fill it with animals because the earth and everything in it was about to be destroyed. The flood would come over the tallest mountains. God piled one impossible thing on top of another. Would you do it? Would you obey God as Noah did? Or would you say, that's crazy. I've never seen anything like that before. We learn in Hebrews 11 that when God spoke to Noah, he was awestruck. And it's kind of a difficult word to to, uh, define. It, It has elements of fear in it. It's recognizing great power when you see it. And that's the way Noah was. He was awestruck by the power of God. He appreciated his power. He knew God was God and he was not. And that led him to obedience. His eyes told him none of this was true. None of this was possible. But faith told him to do what God said. Not only did Noah have the task of trusting God, he also had the task of warning others who did not trust God. And because he believed God for what he had never seen, Noah's actions condemned the world around him, showing them to be wrong and God to be right. What's the lesson in this for you today? The Hebrew letter is certainly not setting up an impossibly high standard for us to follow. Rather, the author is intending to say to us, Noah was a righteous man. Noah trusted God. Noah did what God told him. Be like Noah. God made a covenant with Noah. A covenant is when two parties bind themselves together in an agreement. In this case, God set the terms of the agreement. He told Noah what to do, and he told Noah what he would do. And finally, we learn in chapter 6, verse 22 of Genesis, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And in 7-2, God declared, I have found you righteous in this generation. According to God's command and pattern, the ark became their home for over a year. As we have said, God rescued Noah and his family, along with the animals, in order to establish a new population that would live by faith in God, following the example of Noah. When they all came out of the ark, 
Noah thanked God. And God spoke his words of promise to those dwelling on the earth. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And the rainbow was given as a sign of the covenant to remind both the Lord and mankind of the everlasting covenant between them. Hebrews 11.7 says, God, Noah's faith made him an heir of righteousness. He acted on the basis of God's command, apart from the opposition of others. He did what was right because he trusted the one who commanded him. In 1 Peter 3, verses 20 and 21, we see the benefit of the life of Noah, the life of faith for Noah, and for us as well. This is what it says. In the ark, a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. The ark was a refuge for Noah and his family and the animals. They were saved from the flood in the ark, the flood that destroyed all other living creatures. And they were saved because they were willing to listen to God and get in that ark. Peter says baptism likewise saves us as we appeal to God for a good conscience. It's an act of faith. We cannot see God's forgiveness, but we trust him anyway, believing that he is powerful and faithful to do what he says. And so we appeal to him for the forgiveness of our sin. What was it like in the time of Noah? We can read about their wickedness in Genesis 6, but there's more than that. Yes, they were a wicked generation, but several times scripture refers to the generation of Noah as an example of people who were oblivious to the destruction that was coming. They went on with life as normal, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. I think the same is true in our generation. People are oblivious to the ways of God carrying on with life according to their own desires. They refuse to admit to the reality of those things that are unseen. They have to see it to believe it. Out of sight, out of mind. But Christ has promised, just as God made a promise to Noah, Christ has promised that he too is returning to destroy this earth, this time not by flood, but by fire. And he will destroy with it those who do not live by faith. Even though we have the example of Noah and the flood, there are those today who deny that the worldwide flood even happened. They are just as oblivious to the works and promises of God as the generation of Noah and other unbelieving generations since his time. How is your faith right now. Things happen that we don't understand. We think we could manage things better than God. And sometimes in those times of trial, we even turn our back on God. 
because we can't see him at work. He disappoints us by not doing what we think he should do, so we doubt his existence. Keep in mind that the author of Hebrews was addressing the circumstances of his first century audience. Now I want to turn the thoughts of this audience here in front of me today and those of you who are online. I want to turn our thoughts to you. What are you facing in this season? Or better question, how are you facing your difficulties in this season? Have you lost your job and been unsuccessful in finding an adequate replacement? And has it caused you to doubt that God can provide for your needs? Are you tired of having your life disturbed by the threat of COVID? Do you think God is not answering your prayers? Have you been diagnosed with cancer or some other troubling illness and living in fear of death? Has a loved one been diagnosed with dementia? Do you feel like God is punishing you or leaving you alone to cope by yourself? Is your marriage in trouble and it doesn't seem worth doing what's right? After all, what difference will it make? Are you under a cloud of depression and thinking you'd be better off ending it all? Are you having troubles making friends at school, lonely, and feeling like you're invisible? Are you facing surgery with fear because you're not sure you'll make it and still wonder at times what lies beyond this life? Has all the talk about war and failing finances left you fearful as you face an uncertain future? Is your retirement not turning out to be what you'd hoped? And so forth and so on. You know what your needs are this morning. In all of these things, where is God? Too often, if we cannot see him at work in our present, we doubt he will be at work in our future. We blame God. We give up on him. We turn our back on him. Why bother with faith? But that's not our only option. There's another way we can approach our current and future problems. We can believe that God will do what he says. We can believe that God is at work in our lives now and for our future, even though we cannot see the outcome. We may die before we witness God's work complete, but faith helps us to trust in the faithfulness and power of God. Faith leads us to obey the voice of God. Let's go back to those cows alongside the road. They believed they would be fed if they obeyed and came to that same spot daily. If such animals by instinct and training can trust that someone will feed them if they show up, how much more can we trust our loving and powerful Heavenly Father that he will care for us when we trust in him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, 
We're so grateful that you've shown yourself to us. That you've demonstrated yourself as a loving and powerful God. We thank you for the example of Noah and others like him who, though not perfect, live by faith in you. As an example for us that we too might live by faith. Lord, help us to trust you more for those things we cannot see. To believe that what you have told us is true. Help us, Lord, to be your people in this world, even when those around us do not trust in you. Help us to be an example to them, to live by faith. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who died for us, that we might know a relationship with you for eternity. In his name we pray. Amen.